the slide, I want to talk about fellowship and the importance of fellowship. Now, there are a few things more important to a believer than regular and uh, regular fellowship and, and communion with other believers. You know, we see many examples in the word where Yahweh commands that we come together, we worship him, and we fellowship with those of like faith. You know, we also know from a spiritual standpoint that there are many benefits to fellowship. There are many, many benefits to fellowship, and so many people, they miss this. They, they don't realize the benefits. Here's but a few. I just want to share a few. We're going to look at some of these more in depth as we near the end of this message. But it helps us understand who Yahweh is. I believe that. Through the fellowship of the brethren, it helps us understand Yahweh. You know, more directly, it provides us with strength and support from others. I know that. When we come together as a body of believers with with the brethren, we receive support and strength. Word also knows, allows us to know that we're not alone. You know, so many people are alone out there. And it really is hard because, you know, some people, they just have nowhere to go. They have no fellowship. There's no assemblies. So we're very blessed to be able to come here and to, again, know that we're not alone. And the last one, I believe it provides an anchor. It provides an anchor and a balance spiritually to us in our lives through the wisdom of others. So not only does Yahweh command that we come together, and we're going to spend a lot of time today looking at those commands but we also find that there's benefits, there's real benefits in coming together as a body of believers and, and learning and growing through one another. You know, it's for this reason why I would encourage all of us to do everything we can to fellowship with those of like faith. Never give up on fellowship. Never deviate from fellowship. It's not good. I want to open up with uh, Hebrews 10 verse 25. There's probably not a better suited scripture than this. Hebrews 10 and uh, 23 through 25 says, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. He is faithful that promised, and we certainly know that Yahweh is a faithful, mighty one. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, as you see the day approaching. This passage begins by saying that we're to hold fast to our profession and be unwavering in our faith. You know, as believers, I believe that this is an absolute must to do what we find here. We must never give up or forsake the calling that we've received. We've all received a very special gift from our Father in heaven, and that is a gift of his kingdom as long as we stay the course So we must always remain true to that, understand that we've been called to Yahweh's truth, and we have an obligation to remain strong in our faith. Now we also see here that it says that we're to provoke one another in love and good works. I'm a big believer in this. You know, as a body of believers, we should show support and encouragement, as we see here, that leads to love and good works, that motivates us to do what is right, that motivate us, motivates us to have concern, genuine concern for those in this room. And I believe that we all have this responsibility. You know, this is not something only for ministers, by the way. I know so many people, they look at ministers and they say, that's their job. No, it's not my job. It's not Alan's job. It's all of our jobs to support and strengthen those here. A minister can't do it alone. Now, it goes on here to say that we're not to forsake the fellowshipping of ourselves together. It says, as a manner of some is, and we all, I'm sure, know examples of those who've done this. You know, specifically warns us here not to forsake fellowship, not to forsake fellowship. You know, fellowshipping is how we provoke one another in love and good works. You can't provoke one another in good works can't provoke one another in love if we're not together in fellowshipping. It just simply doesn't work. And this is why fellowshipping is so important. This is why this, this togetherness is not only a biblical concept, but something that is good, is good for us. You know, we do this again when we come together, when we fellowship. Now, what happens when we forsake fellowship? What happens when we, like some, they go it alone, They go it alone. What happens? You know, I believe we become spiritually disconnected sometimes from Yahweh if we're all alone. I believe it can lead to depression and feelings of unfulfillment. I also believe that it can lead to spiritually imbalanced. 
somebody who just doesn't have the balance. And, you know, it, it really takes an assembly in many, many ways. You know, I've seen people leave the assembly. They've gotten discouraged for whatever reason. And I find out that they left the faith. They became agnostic. I've actually seen several examples of this where they go into Judaism. I can count several examples of specific cases I've seen with this. You know, again, fellowship keeps us spiritually grounded and focused, I believe, on Yahweh. Now, this passage closes, and I think this is so vitally important, by saying, exhorting one another, and so much the more, as you see the day approaching. You know, I think we would all agree that this world is not getting better. This world is not getting better. This world is not getting more moral. This world is getting more immoral every day. And as this world becomes worse, fellowship with others is going to be more critical, more crucial. It's going to be more important. You know, I believe there's coming a day when we're going to have to flee. And I'd rather flee with an assembly than flee alone. You know, Solomon speaks about how a three-chord is not quickly broken. I believe that applies here. Now, this day may or may not happen in our lifetime, but when it does, fellowship is going to be crucial, I believe. And I do think that Yahweh is going to take his people out together, those who are together. And it's for this reason why I believe forsaking fellowship is such a bad idea, is such a detriment. I want to move on now and review where Yahweh commands that we come together. This may be a little bit redundant. I'm going to warn you now. But I kind of think it's important that we go through the examples, that we see what Scripture says. And, you know, there's many, many, many cases where we find this command of fellowship to come together. Don't do it alone. Don't stay home. Don't be a maverick. Because we're commanded to come together. We're commanded to assemble. And we're going to see many examples of that. Now, before I look at the Scripture, I want to look at a common phrase we find, and that is holy convocation. Very important phrase to understand. So I want to spend just a moment on this. Holy convocation, this comes from two Hebrew words. The first is kodesh, means a sacred place or thing, and this is from Strong's. So something that is, again, sacred or holy. And the word for convocation is mikra. And that means something called out. That is a public meeting, the act, the persons, or the place, also rehearsal. So we see the phrase, holy convocation, comes from the Hebrew Kodesh Mikra, and refers to a sacred, a holy, or a set-apart gathering or meeting. So by definition, a holy convocation is a command, commanded time that we are to come together to worship Yahweh and to fellowship with those of like faith. This phrase, holy convocation, occurs 16 times within the text, holy convocation. You know, the fact that we find this 16 times tells me that it's important. If Yahweh has to say something 16 times, I believe that it's important. If Yahweh says 16 times, you shall have a holy convocation, I think this is something we should be listening to. He commands that we come together as a body of believers during his days of worship. Now, I want to consider now several examples, and again, maybe a bit redundant, I do apologize if it's a bit redundant. But, you know, it's important that we understand the command. It's important that we go through the examples. I'll try to shed some light maybe on a few few of the details as we go through this as well. So the first example is Leviticus 23. Leviticus 23, verse 3. So six days shall shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work therein. It is a Sabbath of Yahweh in all your dwellings. So we find here, number one, that the Sabbath is what? It says here that the Sabbath is a holy convocation. The Sabbath is a holy time. It is a sacred time. It is a time that we should be coming together. It is a time, if we can, that we should be assembling. That is what we find within the word. Now, we also find a few things about the Sabbath because, again, to break up the redundancy, I'm going to talk a little bit about these days. So, number one, we find that the Sabbath is a day that we're to abstain from work. We know this. The Sabbath is a rest day. Why is it a rest day? Our Father in Heaven rested on this day, so it's a rest day. It's a day that we're to abstain from labor. Now, interestingly enough, for those who are familiar with Leviticus 23, most of you are, I'm sure, you also know that we have the feast days 
mentioned within this passage. So we find here that the Sabbath is included within the feast days. I've always found that interesting. That the Sabbath is included within the description of the feast days is found in Leviticus 23. And again, we find that this is a holy convocation, just to repeat that. Now, other, the next example is Leviticus 23, 6-8. It says, on the 15th day of the same month is a feast of unleavened bread unto Yahweh. Seven days you must eat unleavened bread. And the first day you shall have a holy convocation. So there it is again. You shall do no servile work therein, but you shall offer an offering made by fire unto Yahweh seven days. And the seventh day is a holy convocation. You shall do no servile work therein. So we find here that this is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. We see scripturally that it has two high days, one on the first day, one on the last day, the seventh day. In addition, we also know with this feast, of course, we just observed this feast not too long ago. We know that we're to abstain and remove the leavening and only eat unleavened bread during this time. And I'm not going to go into all of that, but we know that the leavening represents sin and malice and wickedness and hypocrisy and false beliefs and many other things, while the unleavened represents the sincerity and truth of Yahweh's word. So very deep meaning there and something we should be aware of. We also know from an agricultural standpoint that this feast marks what? This feast marks the barley harvest, the first of the first fruits. And that's what the wave sheath is, by the way. So it's the barley harvest as it marks within Yahweh's word. The wave sheath, by the way, symbolizes who? The wave, wave sheath symbolizes Yahshua the Messiah. So a lot of meaning within this feast. A lot of meaning. So next example here is Leviticus 23, verse 21. It says, and you shall proclaim on that selfsame day that it may be a holy convocation unto you. You shall do no servile work therein. It shall be a statute forever in all your dwellings throughout your generations. This is referring to the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost, also known as Shavuot. It too is what? It says here that it's a holy convocation. So again, we see that we're to come together during, during Pentecost. It is a holy or sacred or set-apart time that we are to assemble. We also know that the count to Pentecost occurs when? The more after the Sabbath, when the wave sheaf was offered during unleavened bread. It's 50 days from that point. You add a 50th day and you, be, you, you come to the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost. Now, just one more thing I want to point out here. We know that this time is something that we should do forever. Forever. And that's really all of Yahweh's feast days. There are days of worship forever. There's no end. And we see many examples of that throughout the word. Next example here is Leviticus 23, verse 24. It says, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, in the first day of the month, shall you have a Sabbath, a memorial blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. So what is this referring to? Or this is speaking about the Feast of Trumpets. The Feast of Trumpets. So we find here that the Feast of Trumpets is also a holy convocation. This is also a time that we are to, that we are to assemble, that we are to come together as a body of believers. Now this feast, interestingly enough, it says that it's on the first day of the month. What does that mean? Well, what that means is this always occurs on a new moon day. It's the only feast like that. It always occurs on a new moon day. Now, we also know prophetically, it's important to point out, this feast has a rich, rich prophetic meaning, I believe, and that is pointing to the return of Yahshua the Messiah. But again, for this message here, it is a holy convocation. It is a time that we are commanded to assemble. You see, that what that means is that it's not an, ob- it's not a, it's not an option. It's a requirement. Yahweh says, you will do this. You will assemble. Another example here is Leviticus 23, verse 27. It says, And on the tenth day of this seventh month, there shall be a day of atonement. It shall be a holy convocation unto you, and you shall afflict yourselves and offer an offering made by fire unto Yahweh. So the day of atonement, as we know, is on the tenth day of the seventh month. This day is also called by the name Yom Kippur, as the Jews call it today. It too is what? It is a holy convocation. It is a time that we should assemble. It is a time that we are commanded to assemble, to come together with like believers. 
Now we also see and we also know that we're to afflict our souls. What does that mean? We're to afflict our souls is to fast. We see that throughout the word. We know that. We see examples of that. In fact, in the New Testament, this day is called the fast. If that's not enough evidence, I'm not sure what would be. So we know that we're to fast. We're to go without food and drink during this day. And, you know, just as a real quick side note for the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, I believe that this is the strictest day of the year. Strictest day of the year. Scripture says that if we do any work on this day, that we're cut off. So it is so, so important that we understand the gravity of the Day of Atonement. It is a very holy, strict day that we should observe. Now, last example here out of the feast days anyway. Actually, it's not the last example, but here in Leviticus 23. Leviticus 23, 34 through 36 is to speak unto the children of Israel, saying, The fifteenth day of the seventh month shall be the feast of tabernacles for seven days unto Yahweh. On the first day shall be what? It says a holy convocation. You shall do no servile work therein. Seven days you shall offer an offering made by fire unto Yahweh. On the eighth day shall be a holy convocation unto you. And you shall offer an offering made by fire unto Yahweh. It is a solemn assembly, and you shall do no servile work therein. So we find here this is speaking about the Feast of Tabernacles. We know that the Feast of Tabernacles begins when? On the 15th day of the seventh month. We also see here that the Feast of Tabernacles is a holy convocation. First day is a holy convocation. It is a time that, that we're to assemble, that we're to meet. We also see here an eighth day. This eighth day is often called the last great day. And technically speaking, it's a separate feast. Now, we don't look at it for, for the most part that way. We kind of lump it all together. But technically speaking, it's a separate feast. So we have the Feast of Tabernacles, has seven days. First day is a holy convocation. And then we have the eighth day, which is also a holy convocation. And that is a separate feast called the last great day. Now, I want to transition now and look at, at one of the best examples in my mind of a convocation, of a gathering we find in the Old Testament. In Nehemiah 8, starting in verse 13. Now, I'm going to read this from Scripture here, so bear with me. So Nehemiah 8, you'll have to follow me in, in the Scripture if you want to um, read this. Or you can just listen. So Nehemiah 8, I want to get to the, the context here. So Nehemiah 8, 13 through 18. So it says, On the second day were gathered together the chief of the fathers of all the people, the priests and the Levites, unto Ezra the scribe, even to understand the words of the law. You know, we have an indication, by the way, of what they were doing during this time through Nehemiah and Ezra. Some really great examples. We find, we find that they would read and they would interpret and they would explain the law. That's what they would do. And the verse 14 says, And they found written in the law which Yahweh had commanded by Moses that the children of Israel shall dwell in booths in the feast of the seventh month, and that they should publish and proclaim in all their cities. And in Jerusalem, saying, Go forth. Under the mount, and fetch olive branches, and pine branches, and myrtle branches, and palm branches, and branches of the thick trees, and make booths or temporary dwellings as it is written. So the people went forth and brought them and made themselves booths, one, every one, upon the roof of his house, and in his their courts, and in the courts of the house of Elohim, and in the street of the water gate, and the street of the gate of Ephraim. And all the congregation of them that were come again out of the captivity made booths and set under the booths. Now listen, it says, For since the days of Joshua the son of Nun unto that day had not the children of Israel done so, and there was very great gladness. Verse 18, also day by day from the first day unto the last day he read the book of the law. So we find again what they would do. They would read from the book of the law of Elohim. And they kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day was a solemn, what? Was a solemn assembly. Was a solemn assembly, according unto the manner. 
So what is the timing of Ezra and Nehemiah? This occurred during the Persian Empire. We know that the Persians conquered who? The Persians conquered the Babylonians. And after the Persians conquered the Babylonians, the Persians allowed Judah to go free from captivity. They allowed them to go back to their land. And that is the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. So during this time, we find here that Israel discovered the law, discovered the word, they were reading the word, and they understood and realized that they should be observing this Feast of Tabernacles. So we find two things. Number one, the congregation came together. They came together. They assembled. They assembled. Number two, they made booths. They made booths in in, in observance of this feast. Now, according to what it says here, it says this had not been done since when? Kind of blows your mind when you, since Joshua, the son of Nun. Now, let me give you a little little bit of perspective. I've known to get my math wrong up here, so I'm not a math major. I'm going to write up front. Someone says, no, you're not quite right. I'm just trying to get the point across. So scholarship generally says that Joshua was around somewhere between 355 and 1245 BCE. And the time of Nehemiah goes about 445 BCE. Now, if I'm doing my math right, I may not be, but I think it's like 800 years. It's hundreds of years. We know that. We can see that. Hundreds of years since they dwelled in booths. The last time, it says, was Joshua the son of Nun. Think about that for just a moment. You know, consider the disparity of time, the, 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 the vast time that passed. And we find here that Nehemiah and Ezra, they, they were going back, going back and doing what was right, according to Scripture. It also says here that there was very great gladness when this was done. Now, why was, why was there gladness? So, number one, they were there worshiping Yahweh. Hopefully that makes us all glad. But number two, they came together in one accord. They were assembling. They were congregating. And I believe that too brings gladness. Should. Really, if we have the right spirit, the right focus. They were in unison. They were in one accord. You know, this is what it means, I believe, to have a holy convocation. I think this is a really great example of what it means to have a holy convocation. As we've already seen, Yahweh commands that we come together during these feast days. And we see the children of Israel, we see Judah doing this during this special time in their history. And as we also know, there's many benefits when we do this. We've talked about this. We're going to see this more as we go through this message near the end. Now, I want to look at a few other examples. We saw saw the command. You know, it's command after command after command after command that we're to have a holy convocation. And I want to see some examples of them doing this. And we see several examples from the New Testament. John chapter 2, or uh, 7, 2 through 10, and also verse 37. It says, Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. His brethren therefore said unto him, Depart hence, and go into Judea, that thy disciples also may see thy works that thou doest. For there is no man that doeth anything in secret, and he himself knows or seeks to be known openly. If thou do these things, show thyself to the world. For neither did his brethren believe in him. These weren't his disciples. Some say they were his family. Others, we don't really know, but they were testing him. Then Yahshua said unto them, My time is not yet come, but your time is always ready. The world cannot hate you, but me it hates, because I testify of it, that the works thereof are evil. Go ye up unto this feast." I go not up yet into this feast, for my time is not yet full come. When he had said these words unto them, he abode still in Galilee. But when his brethren were gone up, uh, then he also went up to the feast, not openly, but as it were in secret. Verse 37 says, In the last day, that great day of the feast, Yahshua stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. Now, real quickly, I want to address something here. Why does this passage address this or attribute this feast to the Jews, the Jews' feast of tabernacles? Why do we find that? 
You know, based on this, some will say that, look, this is evidence that these days belong to the Jews. They don't belong to us. There's no need. There's no obligation for us to observe these days because it says the Jews feast of tabernacles. Or, you know, we know nothing could be further from the uh, truth. This is called a Jewish feast simply because the Jews were the only ones observing them. It's not hard to understand. Historically, these days were were not being observed by anyone other than the Jews. According to Zechariah 14, though, that's going to change. Zechariah 14, this is a prophetic passage that speaks about the Feast of Tabernacles, and it says then that all nations will come up to observe this feast, even Egypt. And as we know from the word, if you don't come up, if they don't come up, they're going to receive the plague of no rain. That's what Scripture says. So Yahweh's feast days are not only for Jews, but they're for all peoples and all nations. We're going to see some examples of that in the New Testament. Now, again, in this passage, we find that it was the Feast of Tabernacles. And as we see here, Yahshua's brethren, and again, these were not his, his advocates, his friends, they were encouraging him to go up early or go up with them to keep the feast there in Jerusalem. Now, because it wasn't Yahshua's time, that's what he says, it's not my time, some say it was in his time to die. So there's some speculation as to what Yahshua meant by this. I kind of agree with the thought it wasn't his time to die. We find here that he left after the disciples left, or after his brethren left. So he went up privately. Now in verse 37, we find that Yahshua stood up on the last great day, or the eighth day of the feast, and said, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. You know, I believe that this passage, or what he said here, he was speaking about the salvation that we have through him. We have through him. He is that water of life. He is our ability to find salvation. It is only through him that we are saved. And you know, when I witness, just as a side note, when I witness to people, I always begin by saying, I, just like you, I believe in the Messiah, and I believe that we are saved, that we are redeemed, that we are that we are justified through his blood and only through his blood. But I said I also believe that we need to press on and, 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 and obey him. And I have never yet, I've never yet had anybody say, oh, I disagree with that. It's kind of a, kind of a way to witness in a way where it's not derogatory, it's not threatening to them because you're agreeing with them. And they say, by the way, I also want to please him by obeying him. And it's like, yeah, I don't agree with that. No, I've never had that. I've never had anyone say I disagree with that. So just as a side note there. Now, for today's lesson, the main thing I want you to notice here is that Yahshua and the disciples went up where? They went up to Jerusalem to keep the feast. Again, an example that this is a holy convocation. So by our Savior's own example, we find that we're to worship and fellowship during these times. Now, we find that Paul... Worshipped and fellowshiped during the weekly Sabbath. We see some examples of this. And these are really important examples, by the way. You know, if you don't have these memorized, you really need to memorize these. Right? You know, Acts 17, 2, Acts 18, verse 4. You need to really have these memorized scripturally or uh, just to, to be a good witness. So here's what it says in Acts 17, verse 2. It says, And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them, out of these scriptures. You know, so we see here Paul's manner says it was Paul's manner to worship when? On Sunday? No, it says it was his manner to worship on the Sabbath. Now, the word manner here is, a, is an intriguing word. It comes from the Greek ethos, ethos. And ethos is defined by Strong's as a usage prescribed by habit or law. Habit or law. Thayer's Greek lexicon defines this as usage prescribed by law, institute, prescription, or right. So based on this, it was Paul's motivation to gather on the Sabbath, and it was motivated by the command, by the prescription of the law. Now in this example, he says, it says here that he reasoned three Sabbath days. This simply means three consecutive Sabbaths. He was there witnessing Yahweh's word. Now, this example also provides evidence of Paul worshipped and fellowship during the weekly Sabbath. But it's not the only example. We see another example in Acts 18, verse 4. So, repeat after me. 
Acts 17, verse 2, and Acts 18, verse 4. So, so commit that to memory. It's really important that we, because these are really, really great examples. So if someone asks, where do we find evidence for the Sabbath? Acts 17, verse 2, Acts 18, verse 4. That's the reply we should have. Great examples. Because this is Paul, their champion, the one that supposedly changed all this. And yet we find Paul doing something very different. So Acts 18, verse 4. Don't believe I read that yet. So it says there, And he, Paul, reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. So it says here that Paul reasoned how often in the Sabbath? Every Sabbath, first Sabbath of the month? Maybe every other Sabbath? No, it says here that he worshiped and he was in attendance of every Sabbath. Every Sabbath. You know, this is such an important example to show to those who believe that the Sabbath is no longer necessary. To those who would question the, the legitimacy of the Sabbath, we can say, hey, look, Acts 18, verse 4. And Acts 18, verse 4 says and proves and confirms and verifies that Paul kept every Sabbath. Every Sabbath. You know, for me, there are two issues. Because some say that, you know, Paul was there only to evangelize, only to witness. And I believe there's really two uh, issues with this line of thinking. Number one, as we saw in Acts 17, verse 2, it was Paul's manner. It was the way he worshipped, and in that way was keeping the Sabbath. And number two, he worshipped, as we see here, in the synagogue every Sabbath. Now, if Paul was simply there, as some claim, and many, many claim this. This is their way of explaining why Paul was there. If Paul was there to witness, going every week seems a bit excessive. Think about that for just a moment. If you're wanting to witness, would you go there every single week? It just seems excessive to me. You know, for example, we know that Paul witnessed on Mars Hill. We don't find Paul going to Mars Hill every day or every week. We see one example of Paul going to Mars Hill. But Paul kept every Sabbath. So again, very excessive if it simply was to witness or to evangelize the truth, which, again, I think is very, it's just lunacy. Okay, moving on. In Acts 2, verse 1, we find another example of Paul. It says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were with one accord in one place. Actually, this is not with Paul. This is with all the disciples. This actually predates Paul as an apostle. Now, for today's uh, message, this is an important example. This is a critical example. We find that when Pentecost came around, that many were gathered in one accord. Now, when it says one accord, this simply is saying that they were gathered in unity, that they were unified when they gathered to worship Yahweh. I want to share a few things about this passage. Or We know that this was the first Pentecost after Yahshua's death and ascension, right? This was the first Pentecost, the first Shaviot, the first Feast of Weeks. We also know that on this day that Yahweh's Spirit was poured out upon those gathered. And we also know that when the Spirit was poured out, that those there, they spoke in glossa, they spoke in tongues, they spoke in languages, they, they could speak in different languages, they could, I believe, maybe hear in different languages, understand them. We also know that there were 15 different locations represented in this passage, if you go to this passage and you read all the locations, there's 15 passage or 15 locations represented, including Rome, and that's quite a distance. So there were many, many there to worship during Pentecost. So what are some of the lessons we learn here? Or we see that even after Yahshua's death and resurrection, many believers were still observing the feast days, including our Savior's own disciples. And those were to follow. We also see here that they were in one accord, meaning that they were in unity. They were in unity. And that's important for believers. You know, for this message, this last point, I believe, is important. It again shows by example that the feast days are times to gather with others, to worship and to fellowship in unity and in one accord. And that's something I feel very blessed with this assembly. We have a lot of unity. It is a very, it is a very, great blessing that we have that. Now, for those who are unable to gather because of location or health, 
I believe worshiping online is a suitable alternative, but it's not quite the same, though. You know, it's not quite the same. I, uh, I, I've, I've done both. I've worshipped at home with just my family for quite a while, actually, and as a, as a teenager, so many moons ago. And, of course, I worship in person here with this assembly. In fact, years ago, Alan was just a young man at this point, right? No? Okay, not quite then either. So, I don't know, about 20 years ago, actually more than 20 years ago, I uh, was looking for an assembly, and I found Alan and his father. So uh, we would listen to Alan and his elder Don on, on Sabbath, and on VHS tapes, and if you know what that, that is. <laughs> I know they've kind of been out of date for quite a while, but that was before internet, by the way. I think I had Windows 3, and I thought I was cruising at 24, what is it, uh, kilobytes or whatever it is. It's, yeah. But anyway... Now, in Acts 20, verse 16, we see another example. This is actually the one I was thinking of, of Paul here. Acts 20, verse 16, it says, For Paul had determined to sell by Ephesus because he would not spend the time in Asia. For he hasted, if it were possible for him, to be at Jerusalem the day of Pentecost. Notice the urgency from Paul. It says here that he hasted to uh, get to Jerusalem to observe the Feast of Pentecost, or to observe Shaviot there with the people. In the Greek, the, in the, Greek, the word hasted means to speed, to urge on, to wait eagerly. There's urgency behind this word. And we find here Paul making every effort to be in Jerusalem during this important feast, which again is just a few weeks away. According to the word, there are three pilgrimage feasts. You have the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Weeks or Shaviot, and you have the Feast of Tabernacles. Those are the three big ones, the three pilgrimage feasts. During these times, if we're able, we're to meet with others of like faith, we're to congregate, we're to assemble. That's what the command says. That's what the word says. Again, as we find here, Paul was in a hurry to be there for Pentecost. There was greater urgency for Paul to, to be there to worship. And I'm sure to fellowship with his, with the uh, fellow disciples. We know from the word that the assembly or the body of Messiah is compared to a human body. And this is such an awesome comparison. I, I really love this analogy. I'm not going to read it all for time. But I would encourage you, maybe go back and read 1 Corinthians 12. It speaks about the spirit, it speaks about the gifts, and it speaks about the body. The body. Now I'm going to focus just a few verses here. First Corinthians 12, 12 through 18. It says, For as a body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body. So also is a Messiah. So you see, Paul's comparing the human body to the body of Messiah. It says, For by one spirit we are all baptized into one body. So how do we become part of the body? We see it there through baptism. You know, some people believe baptism's unnecessary. Or according to Scripture, the way we become part of Yahshua's body is through baptism. And we know that at the resurrection, those in Messiah will be resurrected. So how important is it that we're immersed into Yahshua's name? It's probably the most important thing we can do as a believer, to be immersed into Yahshua's name. Paul goes on here to say, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have all made to drink into one spirit. And that's the other truth we find here, that there's one spirit. There's a Holy Spirit, Ruach HaKodesh. There's one spirit. There's not two. There's one spirit. And that spirit belongs as an extension of Yahweh and who he is. And it applies to everybody, Jews or Gentiles, race, Gender, ethnicity does not matter, not in the body of Messiah. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I am not of the hand, I am not of the body. It is therefore not of the body. And if the ear shall say, because I am not of the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, 
Where were the hearing? You see, each part of the body is unique. Each part of the body provides some sort of special aspect of who and what we are. If the whole body were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath Elohim set the members, every one of them in the body, as it has pleased him. What do we learn here from the Apostle Paul? Whereas the human body has many members, we learn that the assembly, the, the body of Messiah, has many members. You see, an assembly has many people within it, and everybody within that assembly has a role, and I believe should contribute in some way. Now, some people don't always contribute, but I believe that we all have a responsibility and an obligation to contribute in some way. Some may contribute in ways others may not notice. It may not be real public, if you will. But I believe everybody has a potential to give back in some meaningful way. I do. I believe everybody can participate and provide in some way. Some people may have the gift of encouragement or strengthening others. Believe me when I say that this is a needed gift. But again, it may go unnoticed. It may go unnoticed. You know, my point being the assembly or the body of Messiah is not a single person. It's not the ministers. It's not the elite. It is the body. It is the entire body. And by the way, there are no elite. It is the entire body. It is every member from the least to the greatest. And by the way, there are no least. It is everybody. Everybody is part of the body. And everybody has a contribution, has a blessing that they can bring to the body. And this is why... One reason why fellowship is so important. Meaningful fellowship brings the body together. We can't bring, I, I can't bring the body together by simply getting up and preaching. It has to be much more than that. It has to be something that everybody puts some sort of effort into. That, that, as, that it says here, that as Yahweh has given us the gift, whatever that is, that we're to use that for the furtherance of the body. You know, the other thing I want to say is this. The assembly should be viewed as a family. I firmly believe this. And this is kind of my philosophy. This, and it's not my philosophy. I think it's a scriptural philosophy. The assembly is a family. And we should really be there to, to uh, support one another as family members, to show love, compassion, support, wisdom, guidance, encouragement. This is why fellowship and being an active member of an assembly is so important. And it emphasize on the active member. Because again, it, it, it forms that body. It's the ear, it's the nose, or it's the big toe, whatever it is. It, it, it provides for that whole body. You know, for an active member of an assembly, we're going to be blessed. And we're going to bless others. And I believe that. We're going to be blessed. We're going to receive blessings, and we're going to give blessings if we're an active member of an assembly. You know, this concept of being blessed and a blessing to others is so important. And again, we achieve this only when we are engaged, and I believe actively participating in the body. Again, as we see in Hebrews 10, verse 25, it says there that we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Now, I mentioned earlier that I believe in addition to the commands and the examples we find of fellowship and congregating, that there are some real benefits due to fellowship, real benefits. So I want to share some of those benefits. I found an article, and it does a really good job, so why reinvent the will here? I'm going to just read some of the points it provides in the article. I did change the names, by the way, just to make that known. So for one, it says here, fellowship gives us a picture of Yahweh. It says each one of us has been given specific spiritual gifts when we come together in fellowship us like us as a whole demonstrating Yahweh. So the assembly is a reflection of Yahweh, and it should be. Why? Scripture says to be holy as I am holy. We should follow the example of our Savior, which is a reflection of the Father. It should reflect the Father. It says, think of it like a cake. Paul used the human body, we this is a cake. It says the eggs will never be the flour. None of them make up the cake alone. Yet altogether, all these ingredients make a delicious cake. It is like that 
will fellowship. All of us together show the glory of Yahweh. And I think that's very true. Together, we are whole. Together, the body is complete. Apart or alone, we're, we're, we're not complete. We're missing something. You know, we already saw an example of that in 1 Corinthians 12. But again, that's one of the benefits because it makes us complete. It, listen, it not only makes us complete, it makes the body complete. Does that make sense? It makes us complete. It makes the body complete. That's how important fellowship and contributing and, 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 and being engaged are. It makes us complete and makes the body complete. Okay. So another benefit, and I agree with all of these, obviously. It says fellowship makes us stronger. I absolutely agree with this. It says no matter where we are in our faith, fellowship provides us with strength. Being around other believers gives us a chance to learn and grow in our faith. It demonstrates to us why we believe and sometimes is the excellent food for our souls. It's great to be out in the world evangelizing to others, but it can easily make, uh, make us hard and eat away at our strength. When we deal with a hard-hearted world, and I think we would all agree that the world is getting more and more hard-hearted, it can become easy to fall into that hard-heartedness and question our beliefs. It's always good to spend some time in fellowship so that we remember that Yahweh makes us strong. And again, this is very important. And I do believe that through others, through congregating, through assembling, through fellowshipping, through that convocation, we are made stronger. That we strengthen one another. We should strengthen one another. And, and again, as we see in Hebrews, this is going to be more and more, I believe, needed as the day approaches. And it doesn't have to be the very day that we, are, that we must flee. Because I do believe that. I believe that there's coming a day when we believers will have to flee. Now, whether that's in my lifetime, I don't know. Maybe it is. Maybe it's not. But I do believe that such a day is coming. And I believe that when that day comes, it is incumbent and it is advantageous that as believers we are together. And we, 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 we are stronger together. Okay. Fellowship provides encouragement. It's kind of like the other one, but it says, we have all bad moments, and that's true for all of us. I have bad moments. I have bad days. I have days. Where, well, anyway, I won't go into all that, but I have bad days. And I'm sure you all have bad days. We all have bad days. It says, whether it's the loss of a loved one, a failed exam, money problems, or even a crisis of faith, we can find ourselves down. If we get too low, it can lead to anger and feelings of disillusionment with Yahweh. Yet these low times are why fellowship is important. Spending time with other believers can often lift us up a little bit. They help us to get our eyes on Yahweh. Yahweh also works through them to provide us what we need in darker times. Coming together with others can aid in our healing process and give us the encouragement to move forward. And again, that's very true. That is very true. You know, sometimes, again, we all have moments of distress, tribulation, hard times, sickness, as it says here, maybe money problems, something we did not achieve, loss of a loved one. And where do we go for encouragement? Or we should go to one another. What does scripture say? That we should provoke one another in love and good works. That's what we're talking about here, provoking one another, encouraging one another when we're down, when we're desperate. And believe me, we all get that way at times, some more than others. But we all need that support. I think it's absolutely essential that as believers, we are there for one another. And again, that's where I say, and I believe that we are a family. We are a family. And we need to realize that. We need to view the assembly not as people we see every Sabbath or every seventh day. We need to view it as like a family reunion when we're coming to worship our Father in heaven. That's the way we should view this assembly. And I assure you that if we viewed this assembly and those here today as a family, and we showed the support of a family, that this assembly would grow by leaps and bounds, and we would have a wonderful assembly. And I think we have a wonderful assembly. But I think we can always do better. Another big one here, coming together with other believers in worship and conversation helps to remind us that we are not alone in this world. There are believers everywhere. And as we heard, 
in our family, our Sabbath family, you know, people in Europe and Africa and other places watching and all throughout the U.S. It's amazing that no matter where you are in the world, when we meet another believer, it's like you suddenly feel at home. That's why Yahweh made fellowship so important. He wanted us to come together so that we always know we're not alone. Fellowship allows us to build those lasting relationships so we're never by ourselves in the world. And again, this is kind of the same as encouragement, but, but fellowship does do this. Fellowship confirms, verifies that we are not alone. And sometimes we, we've all probably felt alone, especially those who don't have normal fellowship. It is hard. I've talked to a lot of people on the phone and or even in person, you know, those who come during the feast days and they're, they're alone. There's nobody around them. And they're desperate for fellowship. But again, there's nobody around them. So it's hard. And I think when we do come together, we realize, again, as it says here, that we're not alone. So one more. Fellowship helps us grow. Coming together is a great way for each of us to grow in our faith. Reading our Bibles, praying are great ways to get closer to Yahweh. But each of us has important lessons to impact to one another. When we come together in fellowship, we teach each other things. Yahweh gives us a gift of learning and growing. When we come together in fellowship, we should or we show each other how to live as Yahshua wants us to live and how to walk in his footsteps. And I, again, I, I very much believe this, that as we come together when we assemble, that we should be growing through one another, that the wisdom that we've gained or we've learned, the lessons in life that we've learned, we were able to pass on to others and share with others. So we do grow in fellowship. And this is one reason, again, why fellowship is so important. If we want to grow, we need to be with others. I do believe that, spiritually speaking. If we want to grow, we need to be with others. If we don't want to become stagnant, we need to be with others. We need to strive to be with others. And if all you have is the Internet, that's great. In that case, I would encourage you to always participate online. That's all you have. But again, it's still a way to reach out and still be with like believers. You know, as we see throughout these points, fellowship is crucial for us individually and as an assembly. Again, we are family. It helps to understand who Yahweh is. Again, it makes us stronger. It provides encouragement. It lets us know that we're not alone, and it, again, helps us grow as a believer. This is why, as a minister, I support and encourage fellowship. I always have. You know, without regular fellowship with other believers, we can, again, become stagnant. And in some cases, I've seen people fall away in this scenario. You know, I've, as we've seen throughout the Word, Yahweh commands us to come together, to have a holy convocation, to assemble, and to fellowship with other believers. There's a reason and purpose for this. And as we've already seen, there are many, many benefits with fellowship. Where's my hope and prayer today that the words I've spoken will sink deep within? I think this is an important message. This is an important concept, that we understand the command and the benefits of assembling ourselves together. Not only did Yahweh command it, but he warned against it. He says, don't forsake the fellowshipping of yourselves together. I pray that we realize the value of fellowship and that we continue pressing towards that goal. And may Yahweh bless you.